0: This morning I want to talk to you about church, not just the church, the church, the body of Christ in motion in the world, but the church, the local congregation, us. Now most of us probably have experienced church at different places Not just Shepherd United Methodist Church, but we may have come from other experiences before this. There's so many ways that we can talk about church. And so I'm going to try and narrow our discussion down a little bit this morning because we only have a certain amount of time to have this conversation. And let's face it, I've got the microphone, and so really it's a one-way conversation. But I would like your input. So when I say I want to talk about the church this morning, I want to focus on your experiences of church, past and present, and in order to get us in the same context, I want you to think this morning about your experiences of church. In the course of your exposure to church and church people, if you're like most of us, I'm sure you've experienced... Good church, and I'm sure you've experienced bad church. Think of the best church experience that you've had, either as part of a congregation or as part of the body of Christ out in the community. Think of the best church experience you've had. Was it moving? Did the church live up to your idea of what the church should be in that moment? Did you feel loved? Did you feel welcome? Did you feel safe? Now think of the very worst church experience that you can remember. We've all had bad experiences at church. did you feel any of the things that you felt in your, burst, in, in your best church experience? When you were experiencing the very worst church experience you can remember, did the church live up to your idea of what church should be in the moment? Did you feel loved? Did you feel welcome? Did you feel safe? Probably not. Probably not. Jesus experienced good church, but Jesus also experienced bad church. Matthew tells us of Jesus' experience with church at its worst. If you'll recall in Matthew 21, just two verses, 12 and 13, it says, Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a den of robbers and thieves. See, Jesus was... Angry because he was experiencing bad church. See, the practice of the day was to sell animals for sacrifice, and they did that by setting up booths in the outer courtyard of the temple because sacrificing animals in Judaism of the day was the way that you atoned for your sins. You'd buy the best animal you could afford. You would take it to the temple and give it to the priests. The priests would sacrifice it in your name, and you would be good to go as far as your sins were concerned, well, until the next time you had to go buy another animal and go back to the temple and so on. What wasn't a perfect system, but it worked for them at the time. Every day the vendors and the money changers would occupy that sacred space in the outer courtyards to do their business. Now, for Gentiles, for non-Jewish people, the only place in the temple where they could come and pray, you guessed it, it was the outer courtyard, which was occupied by money changers and vendors and animal stalls for those that were selling animals for sacrifices. What's more, this practice of changing money, see, you couldn't just walk in with your Sumerian quarters or whatever and give them to the animal sacrifice vendor and pay for a dove or whatever. No, you had to change them into the coin of the realm, which at the time was Roman. And so those that had the Roman coin that you needed to buy your animal sacrifice, well, there was a markup. And so your quarter only went so far, so if you thought that your Sumerian quarter was going to buy you an unblemished dove to take care of your sacrifice, hmm, so sorry chum. Now you had to exchange it for some Roman coin and they didn't give you a whole quarter's worth. So now you might end up with a dove that had a slight blemish on it, maybe it's missing a wing. So too bad for you and Jesus saw this inequity going on in his temple and he was angry and so he exercised righteous anger and he drove out the money changers and vendors because they were making church a den of robbers and thieves so my question to you at this point since we don't have vendors set up outside the church where we need to go buy some animal or another, in order to bring it in here and sacrifice it on the altar in order to atone for our sins. We don't have that practice anymore. It's not necessary. Why? Because Jesus paid it all, one sacrifice for all the sins of mankind. How do we make our place of worship a den of robbers and thieves? That's a tough question. It requires a little bit of introspection, a little bit of reflection, some humility. Remember, there's no condemnation. Nobody's pointing a finger at anybody. Remember, when you point the finger, you've got three of them pointed right back at you, so it doesn't do you any good to point the finger. But what it is good to do is to reflect. And so while you're thinking about how we might turn our place of worship into a den of thieves. Listen to what Isaiah has to say about it. We heard it this morning. I want to reiterate it in a different version for you. Hear the word of the Lord, it says, you rulers of Sodom. Trust me, that is not a compliment. Listen to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Also not a compliment. What To me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asked this from your hand? In other words, who asked you to do that? I didn't ask you to do that. Trample my courts no more. Bringing offers is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation, I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals, my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you even though you make many prayers, I will not listen because your hands are full of blood. God hates bad church. That's what he's saying. Dry, empty ceremony. Ritual without any heart. Worship without reverence. Prayer and offerings without thanksgiving. Assembly without fellowship. Relationship without love. These are the things that make bad church. These are the things that make robber's dens out of our churches because they steal the glory and honor from God. They make a mockery out of our service, out of our worship, out of our time together. As I said, nobody's pointing a finger at anybody. This is self-reflection time. And so, we have to ask ourselves, have we been this church ever? More to the point, we have to ask ourselves, have I been this church to this community? Because when it comes right down to it, if we've experienced good church and we've experienced bad church, the only common denominator is us. We are the church. Therefore, church, good or bad, is what we make it. Jesus says He wants His house to be a house of prayer. So what's the remedy for bad church? How do we make our place of worship a house of prayer acceptable to God? In our psalm today, verse 23, Those who bring thanksgiving as their sacrifice honor me. To those who go the right way, I will show the salvation of God. So what's the right way? Well, Isaiah, in that reading that we did today, if we look at verse 16 through 20, Isaiah says the right way is wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. That's both literal and figurative. We put on our Sunday best. That doesn't mean we get fancy. We don't have to wear the bow tie, right? We come to church clean spiritually. And part of the spiritual discipline, we clean up, we present ourselves ready to worship. We remove the evil of our doings. That's what Isaiah says. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. And then he says in verse 18, Come now, let us argue it out, says the Lord. There's not many gods that are willing to do that. Let's have a discussion about this, God says. Let's figure this out. What is good church? Even though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be like snow. Though they're red like crimson, they'll become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Doing good church is about being good church. It's not about the music I like. It's not about the liturgy that I prefer. It's not about traditional versus contemporary. It's about a people having a heart for the same thing that God has a heart for. It's about taking care of the poor and the oppressed. It's about taking care of the sick and the orphan and the widow. It's about loving those around us even though they don't have the capacity to love us back. And then finally, and probably most importantly, it's about prayer for all of the above. It's about making our house, God's house, this house, a house of prayer. We talked a little bit last Sunday about faith. Faith is important if we are to turn our church into a house of prayer. Because how do we turn our church into a house of prayer without faith? How could we ever pray to a God that we don't trust? Can't be done. Faith in God, trust in God, gives us the foundation on which to build. And so we ask again that question this Sunday. What exactly is faith? Our epistle lesson out of Hebrews talks about that very thing. In fact, the title of the section in Hebrews 11 is the meaning of faith. And the writer of Hebrews says in the very first verse in chapter 11 Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith we understand that the world was prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that were unseen. What does that mean exactly? It means that the very basic fact of existence, our existence, is that this faith, this trust in God is the foundation that makes life worth living. Faith in God is the foundation that makes life worth living. And it was that act of faith that distinguished our ancestors Uh, above everyone else that was on the planet at the time. Our ancestors, Abraham, the Jewish people, those who were set apart for the sole purpose of worshiping God by faith. They saw that the world was called into existence by the spoken word of God and everything that we see around us was created by a God that we can't see. That requires trust. That requires faith. It's the faith of Abraham. We don't talk about the Old Testament faith all that much. And we probably should pay a little bit more attention to the faith of Abraham. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews 11 in verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And as he set out, not knowing where he was going... By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as if living as a foreigner, living in tents. The same goes for Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of that same promised land. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham and and those that came after him, Isaac and Jacob had a faith in God. And they had been promised that they would be able to occupy Israel, the Holy Land, the Promised Land. But it took some time. It took generations before they were fully able to occupy the land as their own. But more than that, As we progress from those of the faith of Abraham into those with faith in Jesus Christ to the present day church here in Shepherd. We have a common thread that runs through all of those thousands of years of lineage of faith in God and then in Jesus as the Son of God. And that common thread is there was always a belief that Messiah would come and then that He would come again. First to do the work of salvation and then to do the work of glorification. The truth is that Jesus is coming again part of the foundation of our faith in Christ. And we don't know exactly what that will look like, but we do know the purpose. The purpose of Jesus coming again is to bring the church to be home with Him while the rest of the world struggles with the wrath of a holy and righteous God. This is our hope in Christ Jesus. That all will someday come to the realization that He is Lord. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus now, praise God we can be spared the wrath of a holy and righteous God. of the people of faith that we've talked about died not yet having in hand what was promised but still believing. How did they do that? See, they saw the promise way off in the distance and and they might have even waved a greeting to it. But they accepted the fact that they were transients in this world. See, people who live as people of faith live as transients in this fallen and broken world. And we go through this world knowing that this is not our true home and we are constantly yearning and stretching and trying to get there. See the people in Abraham's day and the day of Isaac and Jacob the people in Moses day They could have gone back to the way it was. They could have gone back to Egypt. They could have gone back to the old way. Anytime they wanted to. But they were after a far better country. They were after heaven country. And so you can see why God is so very proud of His people today. Because they were steadfast. Just like you are steadfast, waiting for the coming of Christ again. And so, God wants to give you the kingdom. He's faithful to give you the kingdom. And all He asks is worship with thanksgiving, an acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is Lord, repentance from sin. In other words, all he asks is good church. I don't know about you, but I can trust a God like that. I can have faith in a God like that. I can pray to a God like that. And so I'm willing, and I hope you're willing to join me in making this church, this house, a house of prayer. Because it starts with each of us As individuals because you are the temple. You are the temple in which the Holy Spirit resides as you accept Jesus Christ as Lord. And so sometimes you have to throw iniquity out of your temple. Sometimes you have to let the righteous anger and indignation rise up in you and drive the evil out of your temple. Sometimes you have to turn over some money changers tables in your temple. So that you can make your temple, your body, your personal house, a house of prayer. Once you do that, you're ready to come together with other believers, part of the church universal, part of the body of Christ. And then together, we can turn the tide of injustice and poverty and oppression and spiritual depravity and all of the injustices In the world, starting with this community, through prayer to the one who makes all things new. That's good church. And so I invite you today, your members of Shepherd United Methodist Church, your members of the body of Christ in motion in this community, let's do good church together.